never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is, with, that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. the word of the Lord for the church this morning. Praise be to God. If you have your Bible, please open again to Genesis chapter 7. And as we head there this morning, we're going to continue our series through the book of Genesis. And uh, as we look into where we are in the narrative, we are now continuing our conversation uh, about Noah and the flood. Uh, but before we get there, let's, let's practice and exercise what we've been doing over the past few weeks. Can somebody tell me the story of the Bible in four words? Four words. Yeah, Ryan. Amen. Creation. God created the world. He created everything that is within it. He created it by speaking it into existence. He filled the earth and he formed the earth. And he did so for his glory. Uh, the fall. We have been made as humans in God's image and in his likeness. And in our freedom, we have rebelled against God. And this has led to us being away from him. In eternity, we've been cast out of his presence from the garden. Then Cain was cast out of God's presence after he had killed Abel, and he was sent to scatter the earth. And this has led to an eternal separation that exists between man and God, and we need somebody to save us. That's where redemption comes in to play. Rescue, right? We need somebody to be our rescuer who will fill this void, this separation that exists between God and man. We see that come in the person of Jesus. Later in the New Testament, we find out that Jesus comes, that he dies on the cross for our sin. He's buried, and three days later, he raises from the grave in victory over sin and death, and he brings a way for us to be in relationship with God. And now we can enter into relationship with God through repentance and faith, by turning from our sin, from our rebellion, and turning to God and embracing him, what he has done through the cross, by trusting in Jesus' work for our salvation. And then we hear this final piece of God's story is that there's going to be restoration. God is going to bring everything back to its intended order. Can somebody share the gospel with me in four words? Go ahead. God, man, Christ, response. Okay, so as we share the gospel in those four words, those, that framework, we think, God, who is God? What is he like? What has he done? What is he about? What is his character? He's a holy God. He's created humans. He has made everything in perfectness, in holiness, and he is without sin. Sin is contrary to him. And we see, man, who are we? What are we like? We are created in God's image, yet broken and separated from God. And therefore, this image that we are supposed to bear has been distorted, and we need somebody to save us. And that's 
Jesus, the Christ, the one who has been sent by God to redeem us from our sin. He's done so through his saving work on the cross and in his resurrection. And we respond to that through repentance and faith. Good, good. Amen. Let's say this together. Okay, the story of the Bible in four words. God. God. No, I just did the gospel. (laughs) Creation. (laughs) Fall. Redemption. Restoration. Now let's do the gospel. (laughs) God. Man. Christ. Response. Amen. Amen. Friends, continue to work through that. Continue to memorize those things. Continue to soak in the, the good news in such a way that we can give a account of the hope that we have within us. Uh, just briefly pray with me as we encounter God's word again this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would be a lamp unto our feet. God, that you would guide us and you would point us into the direction of our redemption. God, for those of us that know you, may we be reminded again and again that we need you. For those of us that are seeking you, God, I pray that you would make the gospel real today. God, as we celebrate what you have done and your purposes, may we see your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we continue the narrative of Genesis. As we have seen last week, we started to look at Noah and his relationship with God, and we found out through the story of Genesis, as God has created the world, as man has rebelled against him, that God was going to continue in this giant battle that came into play from Genesis chapter 3. The consequences of sin led to a few different things for humans. There was a strain in relationships, tension between men and women. Uh, Eve would want to rule over her husband, and Adam would want to avoid her. We see this tension in, in our relationships continue to exist today. Uh, men's natural tendency, right, is to run from problems, and women love to communicate problems to us, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> oh, boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Took me 30 seconds, so, man, <laughs> love you. <laughs> we saw part of this, uh, this failing, too, that came from the fall was that there would be a battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And this battle would come, and it says in Genesis 3.15 that the serpent would, would bite the heel of the man, and the man would crush its head with its heel. So we hear that this battle exists between God's good purposes and the evil that exists in the world. The seed of the serpent representing the seed of evil, and the seed of the woman representing redemption through God's purpose. Uh, We also recognize that part of the consequence of the fall was that there would be toil in the land. Adam, who was made to have dominion, have purpose over the land, has now entered into a place where the the land works against him. He he strives and, and works hard and finds that there's pain in his work. And so we see this carried out in Genesis 4. After, after Genesis 1 to 3, we kind of have this foundational block of the Bible where we get to see God's creative purposes. We get to see his holiness and his character. We get to see who we are and why we've been made and what we're supposed to be like and then how we in our freedom have run away from God and his purposes and then God's plan to continue to save us and restore us and, and bring us back to him. And so in Genesis 4, we see this come to light 
between especially that highlight of the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman through Cain and Abel. So Cain represents the seed of the serpent. He kills his brother Abel, who's innocent, who was the hope that Adam and Eve had to continue to see redemption. They know that they've been cast out of the garden, that they have been away from God's presence, but that God will bring some sort of rescue and redemption for them. They know that the consequences of their sin are so serious, but they kind of in a short-sighted manner think, oh, we can have hope through our childbearing, through the pain that we have in labor through Cain and Abel. Uh, But the pain that Eve suffered through bearing Cain continued through his murder of his brother. And then we found that after Cain and Abel, God casts Cain out of his presence. He sends him and scatters him across the earth. He was a hunter. He was one who was to bring sacrifices to God. He now has been cast out of his work and sent to just go and establish different places. He was literally a nomad going from place to place. He built cities, but he was no longer able to walk in what God had called him. And then we find out later in Genesis 4 and in the beginning of Genesis 5 that God would continue to bring redemption through the line of the woman, through the line of Seth. We found in Genesis 5 there's this giant genealogy. Many of us come to genealogies and go, oh boy, here we go again. This is going to be interesting, and we try to skim through them, but genealogies are put in the Bible to remind us of God's faithfulness, specifically of his faithfulness to send someone to redeem his people. And so we find in Genesis 5 that God brings a restart to creation. Cain and Abel have been, uh, they've marred the image of God, but God has brought someone in the person of Seth who will again be his image and in his likeness, who will represent Adam and who will be one who God uses through the earth to bring about his purposes. And then we find ultimately that from Seth's line comes the person of Noah. And Noah is in a land, he's in the earth, and in Noah's day, his, the world is described so badly that in Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The world has gotten into this place where so much rebellion has come into existence that their nature is no longer even slightly filled with light and hope. It is completely filled with darkness and corruption. And we see this in what we covered last week in Genesis 6, verses 9 through 22. Generations of Noah. Noah was known as a righteous man. He was a blameless man, and he walked with God. He had three sons named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was filled with corruption in God's sight. It was filled with violence. And God saw that the world was so horrible that he had to intercede. He had to come into some sort of action to solve the problem. And the only thing that God could do is save Noah and his family. And so God told Noah that he would bring a flood upon the earth. He gave Noah a command to build an ark, to wait on God's instruction, to wait for him, and to wait for the rain. God gave him this promise as Noah is kind of 
a, a secondary figure in the story. God is talking about this utter destruction across the earth. But in Genesis 6.18, he, he gives them this promise where he says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your wives and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of the flesh you shall bring to, male and female, of the birds, of the animals. Take every sort of food and go and wait on me. And we learned last week that what made Noah such a good man of God, what made him righteous, what made him blameless, was that he actually obeyed God's commands. And so we're going to see how this narrative continues to play out. Why are we going through such a giant chunk of the Bible? Friends, we need to understand that as we come to the Bible, we need to read the genres of the Bible. We are now in Old Testament narrative. And to see the story, we have to actually develop the story and see how it plays out. So Genesis 7, looking at verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all of your household. For I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So again, we see this confirmation that Noah is a man of God, that he's walking in righteousness in a place that's filled with corruption. It's filled with utter destruction. He tells him then, he gives him further instruction to take seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, male and his mate. So he tells him, here's what you are to bring. Here's how you to fill the, uh, the ark. And Noah waits. In verse 5 it says, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah's a pretty obedient man. He continues to listen to God's instruction and wait and do what he's told. And we find out that Noah was old. He was 600 years old. Really old. We talked about a little figure and kind of toy that we had in the barn. It was a little creepy, but a little carved wooden ark with little guy, bald, 500 years old. Accurate. Um, but he goes into the ark and he waits for God's instruction. And so as he sees God bring animals to him, we find out later that the next piece of this story is that God actually does fill the ark and then brings the rain upon the earth. In verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Now, there's a little bit of a debate that goes on within Christianity, and I think there are good Christians on both sides of this. Is there a universal flood or a local flood? How did this actually happen? And I, I just have to say, my position in this is, the, the text pretty clearly says that the entire earth is filled with water. That uh, It says here that every great deep bursts forth, that the, the windows of the heavens were opened, that uh, continuously as we see the context of this flood, it's not just... Uh, it doesn't have a local center in mind. It doesn't have one town. It kind of has the entire universe in, in its play here. We, we're seeing here the corruption of man. This is not a local corruption. This is a worldwide corruption. We're seeing here in Genesis 7 that the sin that exists in the world is not just in the area that uh, Seth and his family and Noah and his family are in, but in the entirety of humanity. So I think it's fair to say that it's continuing through here to see that the flood doesn't just impact one center, but in fact can uh, imply, the text implies that it affects the entire world. And if you have other thoughts on that, that's okay. Uh, I'm not going to be mad at you for it. I'm just going to say, here's what the Bible says. So um, that's where, we, where I line up at least. Uh, 
as we see this, Noah is continuing. He, he, the, the water has been brought on the earth, and, and we see that it continues in verse 12 to say, rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. I, I had this thought as I was studying through God's word uh, this week. We see the flood, the rain comes in 40 days, 40 nights. God is purging the world of its evil. And then I thought to the person of Jesus in the Gospels, after Jesus was baptized and it represented in front of the world this symbolic act that I have been made clean and set apart by God, immediately after Jesus' baptism, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And he's alone with God. And God prepares him for the ministry that he is going to take on as he then ultimately goes to the cross. And so just seeing how Jesus continues in God's purposes of what he establishes earlier on in the Word, it's just incredible to see the connections of how, yes, what happens in Genesis actually does relate to the Gospel. And what actually happens in the Gospels actually does relate to where we are today. Pretty incredible thing. Um, So we, we see the rain falls for 40 days and 40 nights, and that Noah and his sons come into the ark. All of the animals are there, and the waters are increasing on the earth. And so we, we have to talk for a second about how big this ark is, right? We, we said last week that this is not a power boat, right? This is not your speedboat going out on the lake and tubing. We are sitting in a giant barge, like a giant rectangle that just floats. So as Noah is told, hey, build this thing, he's told, hey, why don't you just build a giant cube, and it will float, and I'll provide for you. Again, highlights that Noah was a pretty obedient and faithful man. That he just trusted in God to provide uh, in the middle of all of these circumstances. Uh, But I I just want to continue to to look at the narrative here. As we see in verse 17 through 24. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock and beasts and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Friends, we have to see that God is willing to go to the other circumstances to fight sin. He is willing to go here to destroy the world to defeat sin. This is how much of a gap exists between sinfulness and godliness. God was willing to come into the world and do this. He he saw that he had to do this to restore his image and restore his creation. So those moments that we in our sinfulness think, well, you know what, hey, we 
we can just kind of scoot by, we can avoid this, it's not that big of a deal. You have to recognize how willing the Lord is to fight his sin, fight against sin. The Lord is willing to go at sin in such a way that he would kill it, that he would destroy it. And this is not me proclaiming that God's going to kill you because of your sin. I think that, that consequences of sin does lead to death. That each one of us has been numbered in our days and that we've been given a purpose and a time to live here on earth. And that part of that is that God, in his sovereignty, in his providence, created us in such a way that we were meant to live with him forever. But that sin has blotted the earth in such a way that we can't. And so that consequence exists in our lives. But God is willing to do something about sin. In the middle of an evil and chaotic world, how many of you feel like the world today is evil and chaotic? Recognize God is willing to do something about sin. God didn't have to bring a flood again for us. He brought his son to do something about sin. And now Jesus' work on the cross has been once and for all. His power is so infinite, his work is so majestic, that nothing can compare to it. And we're left in this tension of, how do we live in this broken world and know the power of God through Jesus and what he has done in saving his people through his death, burial, and resurrection, and now living in the middle of this chaos and circumstances? Friends, God is faithful to his plan. You've got to trust him. You have got to see that he is the one that determines when things are wrapped up. He is the one that determines when your life ceases. He is the one that determines when this world will stop and his kingdom will come and will be established forever. We don't determine that. But we get to rest in the sovereignty of a good God who has a plan, who is faithful to his word, knowing that he will indeed redeem his people. We can celebrate redemption this morning. We get to celebrate it with James as he was baptized. We get to celebrate it as we sing together about the hope that we have in the gospel. Every week, we get to come and gather and celebrate that God still is faithful to his purposes. He is still faithful to his word. We still have hope on this day, even in the middle of a place that is filled with chaos and brokenness. And so we we can't just diminish the power of sin. We need to recognize that Much like in Noah's day, our day is filled with corruption and wickedness. And so we need to stand for the things of godliness. We need to stand for his character. We need to stand for what is right. We need to stand on the Bible and say, here is what God has done. Here is who he is. Here is what he has accomplished. We need to be testimonies among people. We need to be known for our righteousness and our blamelessness. We need to be known as people who walk with God. And that begins by recognizing that he has a plan and that he's actually faithful to it. And so Noah builds his ark. He's in, he sees all sorts of waters come, rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Praise God that we don't have rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Like a week of it in New England makes me miserable. But praise God that we don't have 40 days and 40 nights of rain in such a way that the earth is filled. And Noah sits and he, he waits for 150 days. 
as it's almost six months. He waits for almost six months, just waiting on God, waiting on God. God, what's going to happen? There could be moments of doubt that could come into Noah's hearts here. The text doesn't tell us this, but if we put ourselves in Noah's shoes, we would think to ourselves, man, what's going to happen here? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Noah's 600 years old. He's waiting on God. But Genesis 8.1 says this, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. There's so, so much comfort that comes in that. God remembered Noah. He sent Noah out. He saw the sin and corruption of the world. He acted upon that sin. He, he destroyed all of creation. Everything that had the breath of life in it, wiped out. But in Genesis 8:1, God remembered his promise to Noah. And not just to Noah, but to the beasts and the livestock that were with him. God doesn't want to destroy his creation. He wants it to prosper. But he wants it to live with him. And so we see now the flood starts to recede. 8-2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, so the rain stops. They're restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. Guys, this is another five or six months of God... Noah waiting on God for the waters to go out. But he know, or God knows Noah. He remembers him. And we find out, verse 4, the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And so we're seeing the water is, is receding. It's going down. And so Noah opens the window, and he sends out a dove to see the condition of the earth. Is this an utterly empty place? And verse 9 tells us that the dove found no place to set her foot, so she returned to the ark. And so Noah waited, and he waited for seven days again, and he sent the dove back out. And the dove came in the evening, and in her mouth she had a fresh plucked olive leaf. And so Noah knew then that the waters had subsided from the earth. And he waited another seven days, and he sent the dove forth, and she did not return to him. God had been faithful to not just destroy what was evil, but then restore what he had created for his goodness. And so Noah is told by God in verse 16 Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, with you. Bring out every living thing that is with you of the flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Remember Genesis 1. God created man in his image and in his likeness. He created them to fill the earth and to dominate the earth, to have dominion over it. God, this was God's plan for Adam. And yet Adam's sin and rebellion left to emptiness. And now God in his purposes is coming again with Noah of Adam's line to go about this original purpose. He sends him again on this mission. He empties the earth and he tells Noah, your task now, 
you, your wife, your sons and your sons' wives, and every bird, every animal, every creeping thing, you are now to be fruitful and to multiply. This is God again, starting with purpose. And then verse 18, So Noah went out with his sons and with his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing goes out. So Noah has endured this time of destruction on the earth, waiting on God, obeying God, wondering if he is going to be faithful to his promises, and God is faithful. And then 820, Noah's response to all of God's work. The first time we really get to see Noah on display, his first action is to build an altar to the Lord. Verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So Noah stops and responds to the Lord by bringing him worship. So let's see again, Genesis 1, God tells man to multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 2, he recognizes that man needs a helper, and he creates woman to to be with man, to help man, to fulfill this mission that God has given him. Genesis 3, as they are filling the earth and multiplying the earth, they walk in rebellion. And then Genesis 4, Cain and Abel come to the surface, and the hope that they had in the, the seed of the woman to crush the seed of the serpent is now not seen in sight. It's actually taken through God's purpose and his hand of redemption. His plan is not to use man's hope, but to use his hope in establishing his created order. So he brings Seth into existence, and then Seth then brings into existence Noah, and Noah is on a world that is full of, of, of sin and corruption and evil, and man is running in its own rebellion and its own purposes, thinking, I can have dominion on the earth. I can fill the earth. They're, they're missing their calling. They're missing the mark. They continue to fall in sin. But God weaves his hand into redemption, and he shows that his purposes will come through his action. And God brings out Noah, and Noah, his only response here is that he can just stop and worship God. God told Cain and Abel in Genesis 4 to bring worship to him, to bring offerings to him. Man was created to be with God and to enjoy Him and to worship Him. This is part of our purpose. Part of our purpose is not just to fill the earth and to have dominion over it, but to live here so that we would worship our Creator. This is why God has made us. He's made us so that we would worship Him. We would recognize that He is the one that has His hand over all of this work. It was only God who could bring something like a flood It was only God who could bring man out of the flood. It was only God that could make these things happen. It was only God who could make a good earth and good humans to walk in it. And so Noah's response is appropriate because he sees a faithful God who acts on His Word. He sees a God who is worthy of worship and who is so powerful and so mighty that He can bring it into existence, destroy it, and recreate it again. This is the same God we worship, friends. 
The same God we get to celebrate week in and week out is the people of God. He is our Creator. His power is limitless. And the Lord sees Noah's worship. He smells the offering. And I don't even know what he put on that altar, but it must have been good. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God makes a promise that he will never again curse the ground because of man. But then we see that this problem still exists. For every intention, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The word for youth here is actually the Hebrew word for beginning. Sin nature, he begins in sin. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. But we find that some of the things that have come into existence, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, the seasons, day and night, shall not cease. Chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons. Noah and his sons. God blessed the line, the seed of the woman, the seed of redemption. He blesses and says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So again, as God has commanded them to go out, he again gives them this call, this this call from Adam to be fruitful and multiply. And recognize this too. So in, in the beginning... Genesis 1, man lived with creation in, together. They, they just lived in harmony. But here in verse 2 it says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the beasts of the earth and every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish that were delivered into the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. So again we see the emphasis of dominion. God has created mankind to have dominion. But now animals and and humans do not live in harmony. They live, animals, in fear of humans. We recognize this every night when I drive in to my house. Deer are across the street. They see the headlights, and they run. Or they just stay there forever. Verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I gave you the green plants, and I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So we see some, some new circumstances are created here. But we see some, again, of Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. God's work with Adam, his, his covenant with Adam, his, his relationship, his purpose, his mission for him. We were created to worship God. We are also created to depend on God. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I gave you the green plants. I give you everything. Everything we have is a provision from God. Sometimes we overlook this as Americans, especially. We're looking for the provision of God. God provides for us through 
his creation. Lifeblood. In verse 5, your lifeblood I will require, for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. He is now talking into what has happened with Cain and Abel. The shedding of blood will be the shedding of more blood. For God has made man in his own image. There's consequences. And you, again, verse 7, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. That's like four or five times that God tells Noah to be fruitful and multiply from 8.20 to 9.7. This is, again, God saying, I'm going to fill the earth. I'm going to multiply the earth. You're going to have dominion. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to work through you. But verse 8 is beautiful. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a promise to all of creation that he will not destroy the world again through a flood. But notice this here. So covenants in the Bible often require an action of man, a vow from man, and action from God. Right? Notice here, this is God's covenant to Noah. God says, I will do this. He doesn't lay out requirements for men. He just says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be faithful to it. So again, we see God deliver his faithful word to Noah and the people of the earth and every living creature where he says, I will be God. Let me be God. In verse 12, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to know this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. What an incredible thing. I, I will make a faithful promise to you, and I will set a sign before you so that you can continue to see again and again that I'm faithful to my promises. And we get to see all the time. We get to see rainbow after rainbow in the clouds and be reminded of God's faithfulness to his word. Praise God that he is faithful. Praise him that he is faithful to do what it takes to defeat sin, to set us up so that we would live not just in the world, but live with purpose and mission and live with him. Praise God that we have been given the task of worshiping him. So as a church, what do we do with this? We, we need to remind ourselves first and foremost that God is faithful to his word. 
We get to see you week in and week out. The greatest sign that we have of God's faithfulness to his word as Christians is the Bible. That is the greatest promise that we get to hold in our hands again and again and go to and say, what did God say? Here it is. This is why we as a church continue to affirm again and again that we are we're Bible-centered. As Protestants, that the authority of the church rests in the word of God. We know what he has said because we've been delivered what he has said through the Bible. So we can celebrate God's faithfulness through the Bible. We can celebrate it through the faithfulness of gathering together to remind one another, here's what God has done. Look again to the salvation that God has brought. Look again to his faithfulness through his word. Look again to his instruction. What a gift it is for us as Christians to be able to gather together in the name of the Lord. As his people, we can recognize his faithfulness to his purpose of saving his people. God, from the beginning of the foundations of the world, even before the foundations of the world, knew who would be his. He knew the purposes that he had for man. He knew what would happen, and he made a promised line, a line that would defeat the seed of the serpent and bring redemption. And praise God, he did it through his son. And Jesus. And now we get to see again and again through baptisms and through conversion, we get to celebrate that God is still in the work of saving people. What a great and glorious thing. So let's trust him at his word this week. Let's run to the word. Let's see what he has said. Let's look to the skies and know that God has been faithful. Let's kill sin and be quick to confess confess our sin and our unrighteousness, but to quick to receive forgiveness from the Lord and to find in him life everlasting. Pray with me, please. Father, would you continue to multiply your word in our hearts? God, would you continue to remind us of the goodness of Scripture, the goodness of your purposes, that in Jesus you have brought our redemption? God, would we again be thankful that you are powerful and mighty and that you're our creator and that you are our savior. So we look to you for redemption this morning. We look to you for restoration. And we wait that day when, again, we can sing as your people and we can proclaim that you have come and you have done what no one else has done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to invite you guys to join us as we sing in response by singing that song forever again. <laughs>